Profiles in Havoc is a Havoc Journal podcast. Havoc Journal seeks to serve as the voice of the veteran community through a focus on current affairs and articles of interest to the public in general and the veteran community in particular. Havoc Journal strives to offer timely, current, and informative content. Surf the pages of Havoc Journal. Read the most articulate, opinionated, thoughtful, and provocative veteran writers writing about the nation, the world, politics, national security, culture, fitness, movies, TV, list goes on and on and on. Havoc Journal is always expanding, always striving to improve the reader's experience. So do yourself a favor and check out the very latest at HavocJournal.com. That's Havoc with a K, Journal.com. Havoc Journal, all one word, dot com, HavocJournal.com. The Second Mission Foundation is a nonprofit organization that exists to educate, elevate, and advocate for members of America's service community in order to help them find their second mission after government service. Second Mission Foundation was started by and for the members of America's service community. That means members of the armed forces, first responders, security contractors, and Second Mission provides them the opportunity to tell their stories, to reach their goals, and make their voices heard through educational outreach, entrepreneurship support, and community involvement. The most recent publication by Second Mission Foundation's publishing wing is The Hill, a memoir of war in Helmand Province by Aaron Kirk. It's an account of the tragedy of war, the deeply personal experience of combat, and the raw, unfiltered brutality of lower enlisted Marine Corps life. This gripping book follows Aaron Kirk's odyssey from civilian to Marine and back again, focusing on his time as an infantry squad leader in Garmsir, Helmand Province, during the height of the Afghanistan troop surge. That and all things Second Mission related can be found at secondmissionfoundation.org. That is all one word, secondmissionfoundation.org. Again, secondmissionfoundation.org. Thank you to Second Mission Foundation for co-sponsoring this episode and check them out for all the cool things that they are involved in. My guest today was Lieutenant Colonel, retired, J.C. Glick. Uh, this was a very cool episode for me for a couple of reasons. Uh, JC and I have gone back and forth, um, over the years because he's written a lot of great articles at Havoc Journal and I have commented and in a couple of cases, uh, refuted them or disputed them. And, uh, it's, he's a great, uh, thinker and a great writer and it's a lot of fun to, um, converse with him or it has been a lot of fun to converse with him on paper or in articles and we kept trying to get him on the show and for one reason or another you know my schedule didn't work or his schedule didn't work and we just couldn't get it together until now which was perfect it was great to be able to lay eyes on him i guess zoom eyes on him but whatever uh it was a blast to finally be able to sit down and talk with him and uh you know, be able to actually dialogue back and forth to those that are not already aware of JC's career. He served in two Ranger battalions as well as regimental headquarters. He had over seven years in the Ranger regiment and over seven and a half years of command time with operational and combat deployments to Haiti, Bangladesh, Iraq, and Afghanistan. He was a senior service chiefs fellow at DARPA at the defense research project projects agency. It's a lot harder to say than it is to read. Defense Research Projects Agency, um, and he also served as the Chief of Future Operations at the Asymmetric Warfare Group. 
uh, both very cool assignments, which we talk about um, just a little bit during the episode. His last assignment was as the director of Victory College at Fort Jackson, uh, South Carolina, you know, where he led the Army's Leadership Development School, the Resiliency School, and the military's only physical fitness school. Uh, in his tenure as the director, he was responsible for the drafting and implementation of the Army's fitness strategy through 2025. So anybody that's still in right now, direct all hate mail or, or praise mail, for that matter, to JC, uh, as well as the transformation of the Leadership Development School's curriculum. He was also He also did that. And he uh, was behind the complete transformation of basic combat training for every new soldier entering the force, uh, which does mean, as we briefly mentioned, that he did have a hand in the ACFT. So again, direct all your email to the appropriate source for that, whether it be praise or hate. I'm not saying which how you have to feel about it, but now you know who to blame. Um, <laughs> in, in addition to all that, uh, JC has a master's from the Naval War College, and he also holds a degree in political science from the University of Rhode Island. He is also a Liberty Fellow, part of the Aspen Institute, and he has earned three Bronze Stars, three Meritorious Service Medals, Joint Commendation Medal, and the Order of San Maurice. He is also the author of the books A Light in the Darkness, Leadership Development for the Unknown, and Meditations of an Army Ranger, A Warrior Philosophy for Everyone. He is truly a uh, one of the most original thinkers and uh, and pleasures to speak with. It we we go long on this one, and we could have got a lot longer. Uh, it was a blast to have him on. I can't wait till the next time we get to sit down and talk. You are going to enjoy the hell out of this. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer, and this is J.C. Glick's profile in Havoc. JC Glick, how's it feel to be a profile in Havoc? <laughs> I am, you know, it, it's, I gotta be honest with you, it's so cool. I mean, we've, we've known each other for so long and, and, you know, I'm, I'm such a supporter of the, of Havoc Journal and like, I love this. I'm excited. This, this is, this, this has been a long awesome. time coming, man. I, I'm really stoked you're, you're here and able to do this. Um, I've got so many questions for you, but first, Maybe most pertinently, where are you right now? Are you at home? Is this your home office? Yeah, this is my downstairs office. I actually have an upstairs office that is actually used to be the dining room. Okay. My wife and I share as an office, but she has a call and I have a call. So then I come down to the downstairs office where I can put my hula stuff. Yeah, I was going to say it's a really well curated back wall. I'm really impressed. I'm, I'm, I'm digging. I'm, I, I'm too bad. We don't do a YouTube for this because people would be, uh, they, they'd love to see the tomahawk right there. Uh, I think that's, you know, it's really cool. I got this yesterday because somebody saw that I have, uh, that I have the axes in the back and a guy, guy named, um, a guy named Chad Lennon and I are, we walked 77 miles about two summers ago before the pandemic for veteran suicide. And this September, he and I are going to go for the world record of pulling a 650-pound chain a mile. And um, that's the world record is a mile, a mile. And what, what's the record for a two-person pull? Is that what it is? It's a two-person pull. He's got the record for a one-person pull, 
And I don't think there is a record for a two-person pull. So we're going to set the record for a two-person pull of a 650-pound chain. So he got me that. So he's like, I want to see that in your background. So I got to figure out how to mount that. Yeah, that's pretty dope. So just so everyone's aware, he just held up a a Thor hammer that is freaking awesome. And what's hilarious is on Instagram today, I actually just bookmarked that workout to get like to buy one of those steel kettlebell hammers. Oh yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That's like the new thing. So when you held that up, I was like, dude, I'm I'm right in that Thor headspace right now. Um, when is this happening? When's the when's the the chain pull happening? In September. Is it? Are you gonna do it on September 11th? Or are you gonna do it on a significant day? Or is it just any day? I, I think I think we're gonna try it around September 11th. We don't want to take anything away from that that date, but right around there because uh, we're gonna do it for um, Project Nine Line. Oh yeah, sure. Um, to benefit Project Nine Line, and uh, we're going to look. You know, now that the twenty year war is over, of course, if you're if you're watching the news, you, you know there's another one on the way, and it's really not over. Um, it's so important, and I know you've seen this in kind of my writings and some of the stuff I talk about. Is we have to integrate with society. We got to get away from this, you know, disgruntled veteran nonsense. We got to we, we've got to integrate with with the the civilian population that's on us and a little bit on them. Yeah. But for our part, what I'd like to do is we're going to find another charity, a civilian charity, whether that's conservation, whether that's autism speaks, what we, we want to find something so that we're not just taking care of ourselves. We're taking care of our community because I think we're really, we, we all band together pretty well. I'd say, even though there's a lot of veteran organizations out there, but we take care of each other pretty well, but I think we need to start showing the community that we're really good at taking care of them as well. There's a lot of bleed over when it comes to suicide with the civilian community. I mean, that's not a, uh, you know, I mean, I think we're probably the leading indicator of that and we're probably the, the biggest spike uh, in the demographics with it. But, uh, but certainly there's a lot of bleed over that could happen, especially with very different organizations. I'm thinking of like even, um, you know, uh, sexual assault victims and people like that, that face, you know, significant suicide numbers. Um, so yeah, I think there's, there's natural, uh, bleed over, but yeah, I wanted to pick up the thread on that on, um, on how the veteran community can, uh, help and support the civilian community. Do you think the veteran community, and this is going to sound strange, but do you think it's hip enough to the civilian mindset? to help. And what I mean by that is like a lot of times veterans are very savvy, especially people like you that have had long careers in the military. They're really savvy on a lot of geopolitical stuff and a lot of military things and a lot of foreign issues. But then when we look inside the country, it's like, I actually haven't really spent that much time in the United States. And right. you know the, the nuances of domestic issues and, and the modes of thought there sometimes can befuddle us. Am I, am I reading too much into that? Or do you see some of that as well? I, I see a lot of that. And, and look, I, I'm, I'm, I try to be pretty transparent. I don't think I figured out what I didn't know until five years into my transition. Right. Like I, I thought I knew, you know, you think that success is get a good job, make a good living. And, and there you go. But I, it took me, it took me five years to figure out, I don't know what I don't know here. And, and here are the things that I'm figuring out that I don't know. And how do I get smart at that? Um, I think younger, younger military as they transition are better. Those that have 
like 20 year careers, I think struggle a little bit more. I think that the young men and women that do their stint and whether it's two stints or three stints, but then get out, I think they're actually better at it than, than I certainly than I was. Um, was the army, no, I think, sorry, I think it's ahead. tough. No, I army, think it's, I think it's very tough. Was the army your first job? Was that, was that like, were, were, were did you, was I mean, it pretty much, you know, you know, outside I, of like the summer gig and all that? Yes and no. So, so I had a, a, a little bit of a circuitous route um, to the army. I, I, now I think the, that we'd call it a gap year or two gap years. Um, when I was going through, it was called not smart enough or had any money to go to school and got kicked out of the house. Um, so I, uh, you know, I graduated high school and then, you know, I was a bouncer and worked in ski shops and worked at ski areas as a ski instructor and worked as a lifeguard. And, um, you know, so I, I, I didn't, go to college until two years after I graduated high school. Um, where were so, you, where, where were you bouncing? Where were you doing this, the ski instructor piece? Yeah. So I went from, um, I went from Western mass, uh, taught skiing at a place called butternut, um, then went out to the Cape, um, and was a bouncer during the summer at the Cape and then went to Virginia and was working in a ski shop and um, bounced in a place called the Stonewall, and then went to Rhode Island um, and taught skiing at a hole. It's not even a mountain, it's a hole called Yagu, um, and uh, worked in a ski shop there and worked as a bouncer in a whole bunch of places, and then finally went to college. Continued to do a lot of that stuff while I was in college, but um, but the Army was like my first real like steady, like steady gig. Of what was work. your, what was your mindset during that time? Did you, were you self-aware enough to know, Hey, I'm figuring out what the next step is. Or were you like, okay, that's a cool mountain and there's chicks and money and decent stuff there. And let me just follow the skiing. Yeah, I was, look, I, I, I graduated 112th out of 120 kids in high school. I was a crappy student. Um, I was a, a average to below average athlete. Um, and I was average to below average with women, but athletics and women were certainly more interesting than academics. Um, I think, uh, I think it was the right decision for me not to go to college right away. I think I would have screwed it up. Um, I was on my own. So like, I was like, I was basically homeless for a few months until I started crashing it on some guy's couch. Uh, and then went to some guy's garage and like, I just right, right, right. I did, look, I was a, I was a dirt bag. I was, you know, um, I basically, were you kicked out of your house? Were your, did your parents yeah. like, where did yeah, you, my, you mother, my mother, my mother, like nobody went to my graduation. I was at the time I was estranged from my, my father and my stepmother who are the ones who actually saved me. Um, I was living with my mother, um, and nobody came to my high school graduation. I came home, bags are on the porch. Um, no, I got the message. I'm out. Wow. Um, how did you like bouncing as somebody that spent two years of my life bouncing? How, how'd you, how'd you like bouncing? You see, let me just first say, you seem like you're more suited to it just physically. I, I was the little guy. So I had to prove myself every 10 minutes. How did you find it? Did you find any epiphanies 
in your life? Yeah, I mean, look, I'll tell you what, I think it set the conditions for who I became as it helped set the conditions for who I became as an adult. I learned how to talk to people. Huh. You know, I, I was a very angry young man. I got kicked out of my first high school for fighting. I used to fight every single day because I was the smallest kid in my class and I was dorky and I would get in, in, in these fights and I was basically said, Hey, maybe this isn't the place for you to come back my senior year. So that's where I went to Western Massachusetts, finished my, my high school career there. Um, were you really dorky? Yeah. You're, you're really a dork. Cause that's not like yeah. the Urkel dork response to like fight people. Usually it's to turtle up and, you know, cower in the corner. I, I wasn't a cower in the corner guy. I, I don't know that I was quick to, I, I had a, I had a temper. I had a temper. I wasn't, okay. I, I didn't have a great, uh, my mother was not a particularly great, uh, parent. Um, and, uh, so I had a lot of anger. I had a lot of, I had a lot of frustration. Did you have, and you had no real outlet for it because you weren't doing sports that much. Uh, you know, the sports that I could succeed at didn't really outlet that. Right. So, you know, I, I, I was, I was great at sitting at the, on the bench for football. Um, I'm, I'm, nobody's better than that at me. Um, really held know, it down. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, I, I, you, and then I would almost, almost always get a penalty uh, in football or in lacrosse because I was just trying to hurt people because I wasn't, I wasn't particularly skilled. My IQ of the, of the sport wasn't very good. It was really about like, okay, I just get to hit somebody with a stick or with my body. And that's all I wanted to do. I wanted to prove that I was tough and I was angry. I was angry all the time. And that lasted for a long time. Were you working out? Did you at least lift? Did you run? Did you do any kind of I ran, I lifted, you know, back then, what did we do? We, we went to the Nautilus machine, you know, we did the, we didn't, we didn't do anything. I mean, I I think about it now and I think about, oh my gosh, the fact that we weren't hurt all the time and that, you know, we thought calisthenics was, was exercise. Um, You know, I don't think I even got serious about fitness. I get serious about fitness when, um, probably in college. And then when I knew I was going in the army, what was the fuel? Was it women? Was it army career? What was it? The guy that got you serious about fitness, the army, it was all, it was completely the army. It was completely the army. I wanted to be, I wanted to be that airborne ranger. You know, that's, I wanted to be that. How did you know about Airborne Ranger at that point? Like, was it, was it, was it in the news of it where you've been reading books? Where, where did you get that inspiration? So initially, um, so, so I'm, I'm bouncing around. I'm about to get evicted out of my, I don't know, third place. And it's right before the Persian Gulf War. Um, and I'm tired of being a piece of crap. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to join the Marines and I'm going to go to war. Uh, because everybody knows the Marines, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, everybody's first Everybody knows the Marines. Yeah. So since I told you I was estranged from my dad and my stepmom, so I called them and I said, Hey, um, 
we're about to go to war and uh, you know, here's what I've been doing the last two years and I'm, I'm kind of a dirt bag and I want to do something. So this is what I'm going to do. And you know, I, I, you don't expect this, but he says, totally get it. Um, why don't you, I was in Virginia and he was in Rhode Island and he said, um, why don't you come up and visit with me for a little while before you go do this? And, um, and so I did. And, you know, this is a guy I hadn't talked to in five or six years, maybe seven years. Um, I had gone so far as to, I didn't officially change my name, but I went by a different name. Like I was completely, I believed everything my mother had told me about my dad, which was completely untrue. And he and my, I I call him a stepmom, my mom, he and my mom like welcomed me with such open arms. Like it was like, I never left. It was like, I'd always been part of that family. And so we spend some days together and I'm like, okay, well, this is what I'm going to do. And he said, all right, well, if, if you, uh, if you come out of the recruiter's office with anything other than a contract, let's talk about what your options are. And um, I said, okay. And he must've talked to the recruiter because I came out of there with an application in the Naval Academy, which I was wholly unqualified for. And so we, you know, my mom was a, a lawyer and a judge in Rhode Island and they, they knew some folks. And so I got probationary. I got into the University of Rhode Island on probationary status as long as I paid for it myself. I joined the Marine Corps PLC program. Yeah. And um, I was really excited about it. I'm, I'm in between classes one day, I think my sophomore year. And there's like a job fair. And in the job fair is the ROTC booth. And there's this guy named uh, Fitzsimmons, Colonel Fitzsimmons. He's airborne ranger guy. And I'm like, Hey, tell me about this. And he's like, Oh, this is what ROTC does. And um, you know, what's your grades? He's like, well, pay for college. I'm like, that's pretty cool. He's like, what do you want to do? I was like, I want to be, you know, in the infantry. I want to, he's like, we'll do that. In fact, you want to jump out of airplanes? I'm like, I would love to jump out of airplanes. He's like, we'll send you to airborne school right away. And I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. So I called the Marine Corps PLC coordinator and I said, hey, the Army said they'll pay for school. They'll send me to airborne school. Uh, Like I can go to ranger school. What can you guys do? And he goes, we'll make you a Marine. And I'm like, oh, okay. I'm going to go with these guys over here. Um, And he had this cadre of NCOs, Sergeant Walsh, who was a SF Ranger stud, you know, Sergeant um, wow. Archer, who was a paratrooper ranger, Sergeant Torres, who was a paratrooper, you know, airborne ranger. And I was like, I want to be like these guys. These guys are animals. And that was and- URI's ROTC staff? Yeah. Okay. Can I just caveat for one or, or sidebar for one second? So yeah. I went to William & Mary, which played Rhode Island, you know, was in yeah. the same league in football. And we had one chubby, out of shape major who ran the ROTC program. That was it. And I don't know what he did to this day. I don't know what his MOS was. And I went, I was in ROTC for like two years, you know, same thing in mid nineties. And I was yeah. like, I'm, I'm done with this. Like this is waste of time um, and all that. And and now my wheels are spinning going, dear God, you, you had like all these, you know, super inspirational dudes there. No wonder you turned out that way. I'm blaming that entirely on the difference in our careers, by the way. So um, that's no, that's no. Huge. that's huge though. Yeah, you done anything for the Marines at that point, or had you just kind of like tacitly signed up 
for PLC, but you hadn't gone through anything yet. Yeah, I was supposed to go that summer. I, yeah. I was doing the I was doing the monthly PT test and I was supposed to go that summer. And then, you know, what little known fact is if you have, if you write that contract, but you go to another branch, that contract goes null and void. And the people who are offering you a better deal, you can take that. So good to um, know for all Marine candidates out there that might right. be rethinking their life choices. Yeah. Well, I, and I'll tell you, you know, I don't, I don't know that it was, it was, I'll tell you, it was the right decision for me because the army and, and look, I'm, I'm a pretty big critic of, of the army, um, about a lot of things, the army, but the army did everything it said it was going to do for me. Um, and more, um, they paid for college, they paid for grad school. Uh, I got to do the things that I, that I wanted to do. Um, like I, like as far as the contract goes, like they fulfilled their end of the contract. Yeah. Yeah. That's worth, that's worth noting. Um, it does though seem like you read a really strong program. Um, oh, sorry, I'm not going to get off that for anytime soon. That's just going to be in the no, back hey, of my head. Hey, so only, only five of us graduated my class. I mean, we weren't a big program, but we had studs. Yeah. We had quality our PMS was a stud. Our, um, you know, our, our, but our NCOs, like our officers were studs, but our NCOs were like, they were exactly who you'd want to go to war with. Were you one of those people that was like known as the ROTC guy on campus? Like this, like, yeah, your thing is ROTC or were you doing other stuff while you were in college too? Doing other stuff. I, I was, I was playing football again. Well, playing, I was, I was practicing football. Um, were you for URI? You were on the team? Okay, yeah, so you you really undersold your football prowess because I mean that's still a D one, you know, one double A school, right? Yeah. Okay. I I played special teams and I played. Yeah, I was I was a dummy, and and I only got picked up quite honestly because the football office was right next to the ROTC office at URI, and I was in good shape, and I was you know I was kind of leading in the ROTC fitness. And the coaches were talking to the PMS and the PMS liked me. And, you know, that's how I, I ended up doing that. And I, I played, uh, I played club lacrosse. Um, that's cool. And, they let you, they let you play club sport in addition to being on varsity. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. They didn't, they did not care if I got hurt and didn't play football. Nobody, nobody was going to miss JC. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and I was still a bouncer. Uh, I bounced like I probably bounced at five or six different bars around the University of Rhode Island and worked as a lifeguard in the summer times and in the evenings because um, I, I just always wanted to work. Were you still fighting a lot? Did you find yourself in a lot of fights or were you finding other ways of dealing with stuff? Um, you know, I wasn't fighting in the bars as much as I was fighting. Like I got kicked out of a one over 300 class once because I threatened to, to beat the crap out of a guy. I mean, I, I was an angry guy and i think that uh, not only was i angry from a whole bunch of history but i was i think i think there was a there was a part of me that just wanted to prove i was a man and you know i i thought i thought that's how you proved it you know it's funny i was thinking about that the other day about how guys that came up that came of age in the 90s there was a sense that there was no more adventure there was a sense that what do you do to unleash what do you do how can you prove yourself and i don't know if you ever did this uh, did you ever look at the french foreign legion do you go okay hey 
there's something, there's gotta be something out there. Like, like, you know, there's just a wanderlust. There's like a sense of like, I need to suck, but I don't know where it is. I don't know where that you get that anymore. Yeah. Heck, I thought about that actually almost immediately after transitioning. Really? Oh, that'd have been wild. Do you know anybody that did that? Do you know anybody that actually switched over? I don't. I don't. But but I think that, you know, I, I, I wrote an article. Actually, you guys published it about Robert Rogers, Rogers Rangers. And it's funny because he kind of set the conditions for Rangers of the future. I, people don't know this. And I didn't talk about this in my article, but once he couldn't, once he was out, right. And the British didn't want him over in the United States because they thought he was going to side with the colonists and Washington basically told him to go pound sand. I think you're a traitor. Um, and then he went like to the, pro- like he went everywhere to go fight and he spent his lifetime trying to continue to fight and be a warrior because that's what he knew. And I got to be honest with you, I think it's the easiest thing. How many peers do you and I have that came from kind of that community that, you know, they go on to do the contracting or teach shooting or teach some part of that instead of, okay, I've done this part of my life. Now what's the next thing? And I don't, I don't blame them for that. Cause I think that was my like, okay, do I go to OTA? Do I go to, do I go, can I join the French foreign legion? What kind of contractor can I be? You know, is khaki something that I want to do? I want to go stay back with the asymmetric warfare group, whatever it was. And I think that's something that we should be looking at as military. How have we created some people that think they can only be one thing when in the service? Think about it. We had sergeants who were running cities in Iraq, right? They were running whole, they were running sewer systems and electricity and meeting with counts, right? That's an NCO. That's a guy that can't get a job as an executive vice president because he doesn't have a degree in the States, but he was running a damn city. And then we take them out of there and we say, and they feel like the only thing I can do is shoot guns and, and do physical fitness. And, you know, I'm a knuckle dragger. And that's well, like, that's why, right? Because, because like who I've, I've literally invested so much in this skill set that has allowed me to do so much, even as a junior NCO where the hell else is there going to be an apples to apples comparison with that in any other field? And it's like, of course, I'm going to go back to contracting because there's a world that at least values what I do. And even if it's not, you know, in my perfect world, it's like, well, Hey, this builds, I'm building on what I've started and it's not just jettisoning it. Right. And and starting from scratch. It's funny. You reminded me of my, uh, I'm not sure I really want to tell this on myself, but anyway, when I got back from one deployment, I remember, um, you know, a lot of my deployments were, were really as onesies um, and, and just doing singleton stuff. And I came back and uh, ran into a guy I knew at the, uh, at the airport, literally as I landed. And, uh, and he said, uh, he said, how's it feel to be back? And I said, well, two weeks ago I was, and I, I didn't say all this. this was, a lot of this was in my mind, but I was like, two weeks ago I was doing X, Y, and Z. And now I'm just a guy waiting for a bus. And I was like, you know, it's, and I, and, and that kind of hit me hard and I've never forgotten that moment. And I think, and it, and it does explain why you get in that OODA loop of going, yeah, contracting, you know, military industrial complex, you just can't get out of that, out of that rhythm. And it isn't, and it's, it is weird that not every other profession has that. 
I was just thinking while you were saying that about, you know, hey, if I did 20 years at a consulting, a business consulting firm or something, would you go on and do, I, I guess you would continue to leverage that. I mean, some people do make radical gear shifts, I guess, but I, I guess it's natural if you've invested some time and shown a, a, a capability that you're going to continue to go with that, right? I, I think so. I mean, I know that there's folks that leave McKenzie and they continue to like consult on the side. They, of course, have the the financial flexibility to kind of do it. They yeah. spent 20 years yeah. pretty good. Um, but, but I think what's interesting is this idea of what we're valued for. And, and when I think about what the military should be valued for, it's solving complex problems in complex environments. But what, even the most, even the most intelligent people I know who are, who have only been civilians really go, well, yeah, but you know, you basically went overseas and you killed people. Right. Right. Uh, okay. Um, that's, that's a way to look at it. It's not, it, it, that doesn't do anybody a service that other than, and, and, and I have to admit your, your, your article about thank you for your service was you changed my mind. Right? I did. Oh, good. Oh, I'm, I'm glad. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But all I was trying to say is I think that there's a group of us. And if you, and, and when I wrote that article, it taught me a lot of stuff. One, it taught me never read the comments um, because, <laughs> because people hated me for that, that article. But even if you read that comments, there are a whole bunch of us who want to be thanked and have an expectation to be thanked. And my argument was, I don't expect anybody to thank me. Like that was, that was the greatest honor of my entire life. I almost feel a little guilty when you thank me because I've never to that, to this point, I hadn't done anything as excellent as that. Right. So when you thank me, it's kind of like, just be a good person. That's good enough. But, but I do understand your point, which is, Hey, we kind of want people to understand. The problem is, I don't know that they do. I mean, look at 18 months, the app, you know, 80% of military transitioning, even the folks that have just been in for one step, 18 months after they get their first job out of the military, they're in a new job. 18 months. Wow. We're not, right? So, so we're not, we're not setting the conditions for success not in ourselves and also not in the civilian world. And, and if we continue to be thanked for what our history was, you know, and, and I am going to make more people hate me. Um, no, look, do, do it because I'm about to follow you up with something. They'll make them hate me even more. So you're good. All right. So, so before Iraq or Afghanistan, the 82nd, and I was in the 82nd, so I can say this lived off a reputation that was like 50 years old. Right. They, they lived off of World War II reputation. You know, you could argue, OK, Panama, whatever. They lived off an old reputation and it, and it worked for them. But. But I don't think that, you know, at, I'm 50 years old. I'll be 51 in March. I don't want to be known for what I did ending in 2015. I want to be known as, as, as the whole thing from from all of it. I don't want to be the 82nd Airborne before the Iraq and Afghan war. I, I, I want to continue to accomplish. And I think we have to do that. And so when we get thanked for our service, 
And all I say is, hey, thank you. It was my, I appreciate it. It was my honor. But it, you're, you're thanking me for something I did back here. And I, I, that's great. Right. But I've done so much since then. And even if you hadn't, even if you had taken different life choices, um, it doesn't, I don't think, help a veteran to continue to live in the past. It doesn't help anybody to live in the past. And this is where, where I say I'm going to, you can direct all your hate mail to me, um, anybody listening. But I, I, I do think there's something inherently tricky about the term veteran because it's an inherently backwards looking term. If, you, if To say veteran means you're looking at the past. You're a veteran of what? You got you to gotta look backwards. And it seems the more, and I'll be honest, this is something I've started to come to as I've done more of these podcasts, but talking with folks, I'm like, man, the people that really seem to be getting ahead, the veterans that seem to be getting ahead are the ones that truly are not resting on their laurels. And that's not to badmouth anybody or, or say, hey, you're clinging too much onto an experience or onto, too much onto a label. Like there's people whose experiences in the past or dropped my jaw and I'm like, God, man, you know, all praise and honor to you. But to be successful in this moment, you have to be about this moment, I think. And and that's where us as the veteran community clinging to the veteran or our veteran status is like an anchor. It's just dragging the, or like a 650 pound chain, maybe to coin a phrase uh, that we're dragging yeah. behind us. Right. Yeah. I Look, you know, there's it, it's this it's this. uh it's his balance, right? I don't want to be the high school guy or the guy, the college guy or the guy who graduates high school and is still wearing the varsity jacket from high school. Um, my goal is if like when I wear veteran stuff, it's support, it's to support veteran businesses, right? Like, Hey, do I like scroll factory softly? You know, I want, I want them American trigger pullers. I buy that stuff because I want to support those guys. Right. Not because I want everybody to go, oh, that guy was a ranger uh, or that guy was in the military. Um, but I think you're right. I think we've got to we should be looking forward. We should and we should be excited about whatever you decide to do, even if it's I, I talked to a, a sailor the other day because I'm actually working with a company that's doing virtual reality, uh, sexual assault prevention and suicide prevention for DOD. Oh, is that Moth and Flame? Yeah. Oh, no shit. I just heard about yeah. them yesterday. Okay, cool. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, 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 let me tell you, it's, it's the heat. Um, but I was, I was doing a demo for, for uh, the Navy. I was talking to a sailor and I'm like, he said, yeah, I'm getting out. And I'm like, what are you going to do? He's going, nothing. I invested really well. I'm not going to do it. He's a young guy. And I'm like, you know what? That's great. He's, he's got it all figured out. He's like, I'm a single dad. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take care of my kid. I'm going to, I don't care what you do. Just and and I think we should be proud of the things that we've done. Yeah. But, yeah. But at yeah. the end of the day, we're moving forward. Speaking of the, uh, just because you mentioned the guy that was getting out and not, and, and, you know, had invested well and all that, how, this is kind of a pet theory of mine and it's a theory. I'm not sure I'm right about it, but I'll throw it out there to you. How much do you think it's important for guys particularly to have a noble fight? On their hands, something that they're like, yeah, this is. It, it doesn't have to be war, war, but there's got to be a noble fight. There's got to be something that that gets your blood up there. Like, I know why I'm doing this. I've got a really strong why every day when I wake up. How important is that? I don't know that it's that important, and I'll tell you what I think is more important. Mm. I think what's more important 
is that you have connection with with people that are in your tribe. And that tribe can be either former military or civilian or a combination of both. But what what I believe is we, we, we focus a lot on purpose. But the problem is, and I think we're seeing it today, um, purpose really is tends to bind people together. People are looking for connection. It's a human, it's the base human requirement is connection, right? We're tribal mm-hmm. being. So we tend to revolve around, we tend to, you know, collaborate around purpose. And sometimes the purpose is really not a good one, right? It's, it's huh. actually bad, right? I mean, let's like, let, let's look at the National Socialist Party, right? I mean, how did you know why you know why a bunch of really good Germans, you know, decide to become Nazis? Not because they're bad people, but because, well, these are these are my people. This is what my yeah. people are doing. Really bad. And they but had a really strong you, why. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. True. Yeah. So so I'm less concerned about your why. I'm more concerned with who are you, who are you connecting with? Because especially in our military careers, both men and women, in our, in our military careers, what we've done is we've been forced into our tribe, right? You, mm-hmm. you, you go into your platoon, into your squadron, into your unit, right? That becomes your tribe, period. The military is great. And then we move you to a new tribe, but you have this big tribe and then you're in this new tribe and sometimes yeah. you get to pick your tribe. But it, you always, it's an always a ready-made tribe. And then you get out. And if you're like me, when I get out, I'm like, screw this. I'm not a joiner. I don't want to, I'm out. And it took me a couple of years to realize, oh shit, I'm lonely. I need, I need a try. And I, I it, sometimes it's, sometimes it's former military, but sometimes it's, you know, somebody who I just met who becomes part of my tribe, who doesn't know anything about the military. Sometimes it's, you know, I've been fortunate to have some athletes and coaches become part of my tribe. Yeah. But I think having the tribe is much more important than having that noble fight. It's interesting. I guess I, I, it's, it's interesting. I'm glad you said that. That's why I like talking to you because I like that you come at it from a very different place than I do with that. I, I think you're right. I think it's certainly a, a case of moderation. Uh, you can always take things to the extreme. And, and I mean, the devil's advocate position, I guess, to what you said would be then you can end up with a kind of a codependent life where you're so influenced by your peer group that then mm-hmm. it's like, oh, well, okay, I could be steered down there. But, but, but I definitely think that you're right, that, um, that it is important that, I mean, this is, I don't know if you've heard about PB Abate, um, that nonprofit that started where, and it's focused around veteran interest groups um, on, the pre- on the premise that the biggest cure for PTSD or veteran suicide is um, to reverse the trends of isolation. And make sure that you're around people and and sharing interests, not necessarily, you know, you know, beer hall putsch, you know, purpose, but you know, just you know, that 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 general sense of camaraderie. Um, so I think there's a lot of proof to what you're saying. It's an interesting dynamic. I why do you think that is that you have kind of I'm trying to think of the best way to say this, that you have not immediately gravitated towards that you haven't fallen into the, the the typical post-military path, that you haven't gone, yep, contracting, yep, this, or even just socially, hey, my tribe is going to be dudes that, you know, 
shared my scroll or guys that, you know, why haven't you gravitated towards that? Um, you know, I, I, it was certainly my upbringing in the military, the, the, the great leaders who I kind of saw, and especially when I go and look at my time in the asymmetric warfare group, where what I thought made a great soldier was clearly so, uh, so stovepiped because I had been, you know, I spent, I spent a whole bunch of time in the regiment. I, right. I, I, when I wasn't in the regiment, I was in units with guys who had come out of the regiment. And now I go into the AWG, which has people from all over and I go, Oh crap. You don't need a Ranger tab or airborne wings to be a great soldier. Like they're like, look at this person. This person was like a cook and they're awesome. Right. So yeah. I think that started to get me thinking about, about it a little bit. And then I think, you know, I, I made it, I made a decision and I said, okay, I I'm getting out and there was only one place where you can do this awesomely in my mind. And I was there. So now I need to do something else. Cause I don't want to do something half-assed. Uh -huh. So uh, there was also a little bit of me that, that thought, because at this time, you know, by the time I separated, I already had two suicide attempts. And I was really looking to, to, you know, I was looking for lifelines on how do I get out of this cycle that I'm in. And I think I thought that if I tried to make the world around me better and share the things that I had learned, that maybe that would make me feel better maybe that would help my help my psyche um and some of that it probably did it wasn't the answer but it was an answer um so i think there was a desire to 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 kind of change the the cycle and do something completely different so i could help people in, instead of what i had done was it a, a case of uh, you know, sometimes psychologists or I've heard some psychologists phrase suicide as the most narcissistic thing a person can do. Um, so I'm just wondering, would you agree with that assessment? And would you think that becoming selfless is the cure for it? Because the second you stop thinking about yourself and start thinking about others, then you can kind of reverse that trend. I don't know. What's yeah, your thought that's on that? All right. Ready? I'm going to piss off more people. This will be good. I'm not yeah, going to read any. That's what we're here for. <laughs> not going to read any of the damn comments. Uh, I haven't met a psychologist who's not screwed up themselves. Um, and psychology, in my mind, is a kitsch science, right? It's based off anecdotal observational evidence. It's not based off of brain science. It's not based off of empirical data. It's based off of, I watch this many people do this thing. So this must be, it's, it's about boxing people. It's about making things simplistic. Um you know, that was one of my frustrations until I found a psychiatrist that actually was able to help me. But they were like, oh, you have survivor's guilt. No, that's that's not. Oh, well, you feel guilty. Oh, well, you have this. You have. It's not that I do not think from my perspective, it wasn't about narcissism. I was looking at a guy who had three children and a wife who used to be a pretty fun and happy guy who was angry all the time and making three children and one woman miserable 90% of the time, right? Guy who never hit his kids is yelling at him all the time, right? About stupid shit. Um, 
constantly, you know, screaming at my wife about stupid shit all the time. Lazy. Um, you know, just, I was, I was the problem. I was absolutely 100% of the problem. I could see it. I could see it while I was doing it and I couldn't stop myself. And for me, it was about solving the problem to help them. Now it was short-sighted because I would have caused a whole bunch of other problems. But, but when we say like, like would we say a victim who's struggling with sexual assault and Oh, by the way, you mentioned sexual assault earlier. 100% of those who have experienced sexual assault have had suicidal ideations. 100%. Are they narcissistic? No, of course not. We would never say a victim of sexual assault is narcissistic. We would, we would look at at a person in crisis should be viewed as a person in crisis. Maybe they're not thinking, thinking clearly. Maybe their logic is somewhat faulty. Um, But to think that they're only operating in their own self-interest is absolutely it's myopic it's so myopic and it's dangerous how does that make anybody who's contemplating suicide feel better when a psychologist says you know there's a narcissist oh so now i'm a narcissist too that's not a good thing to be i mean come on what what it's, yeah. to me it's it's so dangerous to do i i can yeah i i for and this isn't a great answer or a great comment i guess i hadn't thought of it in a full 360 degrees, but the, what, what struck me about that comment was, uh, was the flip side of it that I was like, just to stipulate for argument's sake that there was a degree of narcissism fueling it. I thought, Hmm, well, selflessness then would be the cure. And that part to me was interesting. Um, whether or not narcissism was actually the problem. I was like, that's interesting that taking my thought off myself and putting it on others might be of value. Um, but I don't know. How does that strike you? I, I agree with that, but I agree with it for different reasons. It's it's not about like veterans don't want to be the ones who get who get helped because we've been told our entire adult life that we're resilient, we can do anything by ourselves, we you know, and then all of a sudden, except for suicide, you should go ask for help, which <laughs> is a whole nother thing I, I think is crap. Um but we have this desire to be self-sufficient and not ask for help. But we're really good at helping others. We're really good. So I believe that finding veterans who are in that space, the more they help others, I don't know that it takes them away from narcissistic tendencies, but I think there's a sense of value in, in yourself all of a sudden when you're providing for somebody else. You're helping somebody else. You get this value. And you realize, okay, maybe I'm maybe I'm not as crappy as I thought I was. Maybe I can do something else, you know, whether whoever that is to help. If I'm helping somebody, which is why I love things like Team Rubicon yeah. or Team Five or or any of those folks, right? That that get veterans helping others. Yeah, that I think that's imperative. Absolutely. Where do you think that came from in your case when when you were starting to just kind of rev hot a lot was that just because you were you know the op tempo had kind of bled over into a slower paced army career and you were making up for it was it that kind of thing i went from i went from war fighters to the training and doctrine command which is um uh, i'll just say it it was it, it was it's run by civilians civilians dictate 
you know, the bureaucratic responsibilities. Green tabbers have to fight for everything that they do, and they're they're stymied along the way, um, and they forget. You know, because TRADOC, because the civilians in TRADOC haven't been to combat, they forget what they're actually do, trying to do. And I'm not saying all. I'm sure there's a bunch of really good civilians in TRADOC. Right. But where I was, there was a whole, there was a lot of forgetting about what we were trying to do, which is prepare young men and women for combat. And, you know, good enough was good enough in that case. And in my mind, yeah, there's a time for good enough, but it's not in preparing men and women for war. Um, and I would hear things like, you know, well, these folks are going to be mechanics anyway. Oh, okay. Hey, who were the first people that got were POWs in, in uh, Iraq? I'm pretty sure they were mechanics. Yeah. Um, didn't know how to do land nav. Didn't have their weapons. Right. Ready. And yeah. had their weapons, had their weapons in plastic bags and, right. you know, so they didn't get dirty. Um, and then, uh, and then I'd hear things like, well, you're not, you're not building special operations soldiers here. Why not? Why shouldn't we try to, to do that with everybody. Why shouldn't we try to build that? Um, and luckily there were some leaders who, who, who got it, but that, that was a frustration. And then this, this sense of, of purpose in the special operations community, even if you didn't like it, guys, we were all working together to accomplish something. And in training and doctrine command, it was, we were working against each other very and like you didn't know who your enemy was and who your friend was and it was gross you know and people would lie to your face and it just it didn't feel good so it was op tempo it was a loss of a sense of purpose um it was it was a constant fight um it was it was just yeah it was and it and i can tell you it happened exactly my first the first suicide attempt was exactly 18 months after my last deployment no shit. Wow. Yeah. What is it about the 18 month mark? Have you, have you dug into that? No, no, I don't know. That's just, I remember it. I remember, I remember I woke up late that day. Like I remember that day, like it was yesterday. And for some reason it just, that was the day that I like, I like lost it and like nothing. It was the first day that I ever said my brain feels scrambled. Like stuff didn't make sense. Nothing made sense. So what was your coping mechanism? How'd you get out of that? Well, it took me a long time to get out of that. Well, I mean, I'm talking because uh, that was the first of four suicide attempts. Um, look, the first thing I did is I found a psychiatrist who, who, who didn't try to box me, but listened to me and, and attacked this as a physiological problem instead of a psychological problem, right? Because when you attack things as a psychological problem, it's like this, ooh, you know, kind of ethereal kind of thing. But if it's a physiological problem, it's like, hey, if you're not getting enough vitamin D, you take a vitamin D supplement, right? If you're not, if, if you're not, uh, if you're not getting enough protein, you take protein, whatever it is, right? So it's understanding the brain chemistry and the brain science. And this is a woman who absolutely like made me read a bunch of books on, on brain science and understand the, the physiological problem. Because if we see it as a physiological problem, then we know how to fix it, right? Oh, this is a, you know, we're having, we're having an increase in this chemical, a decrease in this chemical. So I do need to take a supplement to change that. 
Um, and, and, so, and okay. so it, it wasn't just the methodology of going, Hey, I got to fix what's broken. It was literally looking at it as a physiological problem where I just got to raise this level, decrease this. Okay. Wow. hundred percent, hundred percent. And, and what do we do when, when we have, you know, a torn ACL, we go to physical therapy. Well, one talking to your, talking to your psychiatrist is, is therapy Two, mindfulness exercises are therapy three. There's also, we know, I mean, again, I got into the science of it. Exercise sets the conditions for your body to be more, your brain to be more compassionate and more forgiving of itself and others. It stimulates the part of the prefrontal cortex that monitors and controls kind of decision-making and emotion. Well, that's what we have a problem with, right? We're either angry or we're sad or we're, right? So exercise became, but once I understood that, I went, oh, I got to exercise more. This has to be part of, of therapy, right? I got into surfing, uh, even though I'm really crappy at it. Um, but you can only be present when you're surfing. You can't worry about the last wave. You can't worry about the next wave. You're in the wave. And, you know, there were so many things that I was able to do because it's not a one size fits all. Yeah. But, you know, I went through a time, I was on so many different medications that, and I was, you know, I'd squat and I'd be, you know, pissing my pants um, to, you know, I take, I take one, I take Cymbalta once a day uh, at a lower dose than most of the civilian population takes. Um, I take some CBD for pain and that's it. That's it. And, um, and I think because I saw it as a physiological problem, nothing was wrong with something nobody can understand. Right. I had injury to my brain and there were ways to fix it. Was that, was it always, was your, your dosage, was your intake always there or did it spike initially where it was like, Hey, we got to balance this out. So you're going to, there's going to be a lot more pills or there's going to be a lot more of this early on. And then eventually you can wean off it. Uh, no, actually, uh, well, under the old doctors, I started self-medicating. Like I started just like going, I'm not taking this. This makes me feel fine. I just stop. even though you're supposed to wean off stuff, I did the research. Initially I was taking Effexor and I wasn't with my good psychiatrist. And I, I did some reading on, I don't even remember what it was, but it was a, a sister to Cymbalta. And I said, hey, I want to try this because this seems to attack. She goes, well, the military, the government doesn't have that. We have this, which does the same thing. I said, well, I want to try that. And she said, okay. So we made that transition. And she goes, I'm going to start you off at this. And I, I, I don't know what I started off. I think I started off at 90 or something and, you know, eventually went down to 60. Um, it, but it was one, I was part of the process. I wasn't just taking pills. Right. I wasn't just yeah. I wasn't a receiver of my treatment. I was a direct participant in my treatment. Um, and I got and I just didn't take anybody's word for it. I, I figured it out. Like, I want to know what's going on with my body. Did you try holistic stuff? Did you try getting into yoga? Did you try? We talked about the mindfulness and all that. You started to meditate. Did you do anything yep. else like that? Yeah, yep. it worked. I got Oh, absolutely. hundred percent, hundred percent. And now what we find, we thought that intelligence was finite, right? The ability intelligence being the speed at which 
data can be processed in the brain, right? You can get more and more data, but the speed at which it can be processed in your brain is finite. It is what it is. You have X, Mm -hmm. I have Y, whatever it is. And now brain science has found that meditation can actually increase the speed of intelligence. We can can up our intelligence, the processing, um, by meditation. That's amazing. So, so we know that, that this is good for us to take this time and it doesn't have to look like, oh, you know, sitting cross-legged. If that's what you wanted to go ahead, I sit in a chair and I personally like, um, led mindfulness exercises. I like to just, but I feel energized afterwards. I feel calm. My, my wife said to me this morning, she goes, you know, you are so much more chill now because there was a, there was an altercation at the supermarket the other day. And all I did was say, Hey, why are you guys fighting? Why? And this person like then started to attack me. And I was like, okay. You know, I just walked away. She goes, that never would have happened a few years ago. You would have been like all over that guy. And, and I am, cause it just, I don't know, maybe it's age too, but um, I just, that the, the non-traditional, I, I got no problem with meds. I got a problem with too many meds. Sure. But meds in my mind are like vitamins or supplements. You need what you need, right? If you have a calcium deficiency, take some calcium. If, if you got a dip, if you've got some some chemical issues, you got to fix them. There's nothing wrong with that. There's no shame in that. Um, in fact, most of the civilian, you know, for veterans who are listening, most of the civilian world is on some sort of antidepressant, yeah. Yeah. anti-anxiety medicine, me- uh, medicine that's ten times what you're taking right now. Um, so I don't have any issue with that, but I think there's also, we know exercise is so important. We know it is, we know mindfulness is important and we know reading, you know, the ability to, to, to look at stuff. And I don't care what you read, read comic book. We know that that's interacting with the parts of your brain that help us regulate emotion, that help us process information. Meaning when we get triggers, and this is something that I struggle with, with military folks, we don't want to trigger anybody. Of course we do. We want to trigger them when they're in a safe spot because we got to learn how to deal with our triggers. But right. we know that mindfulness and reading actually help us process our triggers a little bit better. When we get triggered, we can go, oh, this is why I'm triggered. And, th- and you know what? I shouldn't, I shouldn't watch that. Or I'm not going to talk about this right now. It's not about not getting triggered. It's about learning how to deal with your triggers. If you, if you saw all that stuff from Onnit Academy, you know, the black yeah. label and all that stuff. You looked yep. into that. You think it's good? I don't know. I, 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 you know, when Joe Rogan was talking about it, I really, I really looked into it. I, I don't know. It's there's, there's two totally different folks out there. And I don't know that I know enough to, yeah. to make the decision on which side's right. Um, where I'm at right now is, you know, I do, I drink ketones um, through kinetic and, and, you know, I think I've, I've shared on with Havoc, like, you know, I, I believe in this kinetic drink and it's ketones and it really is for me better than caffeine. Um, I do take some pure natural supplements, but uh, through uh, Unbreakable, um, through GNC. But that's it. Like, I don't want a bunch of I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little nervous now. I will say I'll tell you what I'm interested in. My wife's not excited about it, but I am really interested in HGH. Really interested in HGH. Really? Yeah. So I met a guy who had 
was on HGH. Um, and he was, when I met him, he was, I think, 53. And he looked a little bit like Lou Ferrigno. Like he had, <laughs> like, and I, and I don't just mean like the bulk of the muscle, but like the veins popping and all that stuff. And I was like, um, I was like, yeah, but dude, you travel a lot for your work. Like when was the last time you, you worked out and all that? And he's like, oh, I haven't worked out in two months. So you haven't worked out like that in two months. And he's like, yeah. And, and he said, you, you know, everybody, everybody I've ever met that takes HGH, I'm, I'm picking on him, but everybody I've ever met always talks about regulating the dosage and cycling correctly and making sure you're not overdoing it and all that. Um, and he swore up and down that he was doing that and he was super conscientious and self-aware and all that. Um, and I don't know. I don't know. Maybe his body just responded amazingly to it. Um, obviously the big fear, right. Is that once you start taking it, it's really hard to ever stop without having right. some serious T level drops and, and all that stuff. Um, but I think every guy has probably thought of it, especially when you start to get older and it's like, yeah, I'd like to, do you feel like you've degraded physically? Do you feel like your performance is degrading, you know, physically and you're not working out as hard and you're like, and you feel you need that boost? No, you know, so for me, uh, the only thing that's degraded is I'm slow now. I'm, I'm slow. Mm -hmm. Now that could be because, you know, it's hard to move 230 pounds quickly, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm not as fast strength wise. I'm stronger than I've ever been. Um, I, I don't, I work out harder than as hard as I ever have. Um, I'm just not fast. I do everything slower. Um, but what intrigues me about HGH is how it's been able to show improvement in ligament, ligaments, tendons, and uh, mm. organs to include the brain. Um, and we know we know that the brain has constant neuroplasticity. As long as you're working it, it continues to it continues to evolve, right? It continues to grow. But HCH is shown to increase that growth exponentially. Um, and I think that as I'm looking at it, I'm not looking at it like I wake up, I feel great. You know, I, I, uh, I exercise, I mean, like, I, I don't have a problem there, but I do worry about, you know, I, I fell down the other day and I landed all my weight on my shoulder and I, I sprained my SC joint and I go into the orthopedic surgeon. He gives me a shot of cortisone. He was awesome. Um, and, uh, he looks, he's like, holy crap, you have arthritis, like a 70 year old man. And I, and I think about that and I'm like, okay, I'm still able to do all this stuff, but eventually he's like, you're going to need a shoulder, a shoulder replacement. And I'm thinking about all the other stuff that's, yeah, that's kind of gotten beat up. And that's what intrigues me about HGH is the ability to maybe get some repair after a, after a, you know, two decades of punishment. You, have you been feeling that physically though? Did you know, I mean, that couldn't have been a surprise to you that you're like, Oh yeah, I was dinged up. I just didn't know specifically what it was when he tells you that you got arthritis and that you need a shoulder replacement. Was it a total surprise to you where you're like, man, I wasn't even feeling that. Or was it like, Oh, that's what's been going on with me all these years. Um, I think, uh, I think I kind of assumed it was going to be horrible. Okay. Uh, I think, uh, I just didn't know. I just thought it hurt. Yeah. And did you ever, when he told you that, did you think, Hey, let me start doing Bikram yoga or let me do physical therapy or let me do something that's gonna, you know, 
help out my ligaments and help out my joints and and start to do any of that stuff. Did that cross your mind? Was that an option? This fails when you need it the most. Uh, yeah, I think um, I, I think that's when I really started getting involved in. Um, that's when I started really getting involved in physical therapy and like proper weightlifting. So like twice a week, I, I do like physical therapy session that that's not like just mobility, but it's about like functional strength and making sure that, you know, my squat actually gets the depth that it's supposed to have mm. and making sure that, you know, um, I have the flexibility to, to continue to bench press big weight and to continue to do it what I was doing. All right. What gets you up every day? What, what, what gets you out of bed every day now? I mean, is, is it, is it the exercises, the challenge? Do you, do you need a degree of suck every day or what, what is it? So the first thing gets me up every day is I have the most amazing life in the world and I'm happier than I have ever been in my entire life. I have three healthy, healthy and happy children who make me proud every single day. I have three healthy and happy stepchildren who make me proud every single day. And I have this woman who is amazing. Um, and that gets me out. I, like I am happier than I have ever been in my entire life. That gets me out of bed every day. Um, yeah, look, do I need a little bit of suck every day? Yeah, I want to, you know, I throw on body armor and, and pro mask and go for a run. And I want to, I want to hurt and I want to feel like, like it used to. Um, I, I want to be able to, you know, bench press 225, you know, like 50 times and, you know, squat over 400 pounds. That's yeah, absolutely. I want to do all that stuff. Um, but I think that that it, I think it's important that that we keep that physical fitness thing going, right? Because I think that uh, how many people have you seen leave leave service and and blow up, and you know, and and or they leave service and they they die in a couple of years because they haven't been been healthy. Um, so for me, um, you know, it, it's just you have to do it. You have to do it. Like I I enjoy doing it, and I think um, to a certain extent. You know, and maybe this is ill thought out, but I do kind of, I mean, you know, you and I, as, as we get out, we do represent the military to a whole lot of people. You know, everybody yeah. we come in contact with, we are representative of the military. And so it, it's, it's really important that, um, that we represent it in a good way. So I, I've referred to this a couple of times on the show. Um, when Jeff Marshman told me, he's like, you know, for all my, my badges and tabs, he's like, I, I feel an obligation to live up to that every day. So not just being in the military, but he's like, you know, people expect a certain degree of proficiency from me and I can't let myself atrophy in any aspect of that. Do you feel that too? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I'm, um, I'm very cognizant, you know, and I talked to, uh, my call about this. Uh, before I put out the second book, which I incorporated the DUI in. And I said, look, I don't want to, I don't want to profit off of the regiment. And I only want 
and I only want to represent it in a positive way. So I asked him to like look through the book and make sure that he felt like I wasn't putting out anything that wasn't that that would make the regiment look bad. But I think that that extends to like I know that people know me as former. I mean, I put it right, former Army right. Ranger. So right. because of that, like I only want to show the good of former Army Rangers and. And uh, I'm very thoughtful that I don't want to be seen as a as a frat boy or as a clown or as a I, I want to present it in a good light. Getting back to what we talked about before, how much is that also uh, do you find that it's still an anchor for you as you push ahead? If it's like, hey, I also have this investment in the past that, you know, I'm leveraging to some degree and, and it's part of my identity. But at the same time, I'm trying to also be this guy right now in the moment that might be different. Yeah, it, it, it's a little tough. I mean, because it's a balance, right? I know that I get in the door a lot of places because I keep the lieutenant colonel and the army ranger thing. Uh, uh, you know, it is part of who I am. It is part of my identity. Um, but I do find, you know, I've had people in speeches and I don't know if you've ever experienced this. Um, you look smarter than I do, but, you know, I'll, I'll get Just done looks. with a speech. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you're smarter than I am. Um, but but I'll get done with a speech and people will say like, Oh, I didn't expect you to be so articulate, you know, or I didn't expect that, you know, I didn't expect, I, I, I work with some companies and they're like, you're a military guy. What do you know about pretty much anything that doesn't have to do with guns? Um, and it's, it's really amazing, but I don't know that it, it's an anchor as much as it's like anything else. I, I was, I was reading, you know, we talk about diversity and inclusion a whole lot. But people don't think about it when it comes to veterans at all, right? And I'm reading somebody's comments the other day, and somebody said in a comment, well, we have a lot of military people here, and military people are X. And I, I, I said to somebody who was reading with me, I said, imagine if we put military people and replace that with women or people of color or any other thing other than military people. Would that be acceptable? And it's like, well, no. Why is it acceptable when we say it about military people? Why is that then okay? I, I could definitely see the devil's advocate position initially, and I don't agree with it, but I'm going to say what I think it would be, is that you don't make a choice to be a woman. You don't make a choice to be a certain race. You do make a choice to join the military. And so it's a self-selection mechanism that there's a certain group of people, and it does, and and it might still be very broad and diverse, but there is still... A, a lot of common traits that you're going to find there that you wouldn't find necessarily in those broader demographics, right? Sure. So, so are all doctors X? Right. Right. Are yeah. It therapists? still doesn't hold up. Yeah, that's right. right. That's right. right. So, yeah. so it becomes like this, this, this idea that sure it's self-selecting. I, I could argue that there's a lot of stuff that's self-selecting, right? I can identify as a German American, or I can just identify as an American. Right. right? It, it, yeah. It's, it's, there's a difference. Well, and there's a, there's a difference. I mean, it depends what you're self-selecting, you know, the, 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 the diversity and, and the depth of, of experience that you find and the, the width, I should say, of experience that you find in the military is a lot different than say the self-selection of people that kill prostitutes and eat them. Like that's, that's okay. That's self-selection too, but that's going to be a lot more Specific. Right. That's a lot more niche. This is a very broad category still. So yeah, it, it, absolutely. It's a very broad category with with people who go into the service for very very different reasons, 
And, and also I, I just think, you know, let's, let's talk about this for a second. Like, how do we identify? I identify as a human period. I'm a human. I don't identify as a man because in fact, I was reading this article that said there's like 72 genders. I, I, I don't agree with that. Um, but one of the genders I really liked, it was called a gender outlaw. And it's that you don't want to be subject to any gender stereotypes. And I went, okay, I identify as that because I'll be the first to tell you that every time I watch Rudy at the end, I cry. Um, I, uh, I don't, I don't know that I identify as a, as a man. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a guy biologically. I think I'm a guy, but that said, I'm a human. I'm, I'm unique. I'm JC. I'm everybody's unique. That doesn't mean everybody has to, to do certain things. And, and let's look at this right now. We're really getting, I don't think anybody in our audience might disagree, but there's a lot of people who disagree. Sure. If I say I like, so my, my legal name is Jason Corbett, but I go by JC. When somebody says, hey, what do you like to be called? I say, JC. That doesn't mean they have to call me that. They can still call me Jason. And you know what? They're not wrong. And I might not like it, but they're not really doing They're just not being very considerate of me, but they're not doing anything wrong. Right? Well, yeah, and that's, and that's where you get to the whole thing now, right? Which is how big a violation is it to offend? And, right. you know, and, and is, is, and we've entered this place, you know, for, Tons of reasons that we don't have to go down the rabbit hole. We can, but we don't have to if we don't want. Um, but we've gotten to this place where offense seems to rank as the most vile sin you can commit. And I think for folks like us and like a lot of people listening, you've kind of seen things that you're like, no, 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 that's worse. That, that, that's worse than offending somebody. I can think of a bunch of things that, that are going to be worse than that. And that makes it um, a truly first world problem. You know, to 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 dive into that. Um, it, it is. And we get to decide if we're offended. And when we yeah. decide we're offended, we have given the we have given the power over to the offender. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to give that much power away. I want to maintain my power. I mean, not to not to freak everybody out and, and drop a religious thing. But that's that's the I think the theology behind Jesus is turn the other cheek. Is he said it turned the other cheek, not because he was weak, but because he said, if I, if I don't, and I fight you back, it's because you've actually changed my mood. You've changed my attitude. You forced me to engage and I don't give you that power. And I only give it to God and we can cap it there before everybody goes, son of a bitch. How dare you throw religious shit out there in the middle of all this? Um, but I, but yeah, it's, you know, it is, it's a, it's, it's a identity in general is a really funny thing. And it's a funny thing in our community because you know, like we were talking about, it's like, what do you think of yourself every day when you wake up and when you've had a job, it, not just the military in general, although that can be, but especially a specific job in the military that really builds your identity. It's hard to, sh to shuck that. And it's hard to see the individual beneath that label. And when you get out trying to peel back that onion and see what the hell is JC? What is JC when you take away the tab and when you take away the scroll, when you take away the uniform, then it's like, well, who the fuck is left? What am I then? That's that, and that's, that's, and, and everybody has that to some degree. Um, and I don't, I, you know, it's, it is strange. I, um, I know that uh, Marx, Karl Marx wrote, um, you know, that a man is his job. 
That was a Marxist tenet that a yep. man is his job. And as much as I never liked Marx, I did live a lot of my life that way. I definitely identified that way. And, um, and I don't know, there's, there's a little bit of introspection that probably all of us have to do when we get out to figure out, and that's probably in that 18 month window when you get out, right. And figure out, well, who the hell am I then? If we yeah. take this away, if we strip this away, when was it? The, no, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to ask, uh, speaking of identity, because there are so many wickets that you go through to, to do what you did and to, and to reach the levels of command that you did and to stay in the regiment as long as you did. When did you feel that you were no longer the JC that had been at college, been in ROTC? You know, when did you feel that you were suddenly a man, that you were kind of what you wanted to be? That you're like, yep, I, I, I got to what I, that, that, that high school kid or that whatever gap year kid that was walking into the recruiter, what I hoped for then, yeah, I'm there now. Did you ever have that moment? I did. I did. And then that, that was, uh, that was after I commanded in uh, first ranger battalion. And then I went, Oh crap, what am I going to do now? Cause that's all I ever wanted to do. Um, did you look around and go, Oh, it's not all that I got here. No, actually, it, was all no, it was all that you were living the dream. Okay. I, I mean, the command rangers in combat is the greatest thing that anyone I've ever done. It was, you know, aside, aside from raising three, three children and, and marrying my current wife, it's, it, it was, it was unbelievable. It was, it was all that. I just got done with it. And I went, uh, you know, I, I don't know. Cause like, I wasn't, I, I wasn't looking to be a general officer. I wasn't looking to be a heck. I hadn't even thought about being a colonel. Right. I was like, mm, whatever. Um, so it wasn't a moment. It was really when you, when you left, then suddenly yeah. you, you looked back and were like, Oh crap, that was, that was my pinnacle right there. That was it. That yeah, was, yeah, yeah. Right. That was, you know, so now, so now it's all about like, how do I make every day the best, the best I've ever been, right? So that I'm not peaking. I don't, I don't ever want to peak. Yeah. I, I yeah. want to constantly be on that road to, to peak. Um, I don't ever want to peak again. Um, and so, you know, I do a lot of stuff. Um, I try a bunch of stuff. I, I, I screw up a whole lot of stuff. Um, more stuff than I care to admit, right? I, I screwed up my first marriage for sure. That was on me. Um, uh, you know, um, I think I'm a better father than I was. I don't know that I screwed up as being a father, but I certainly wasn't awesome. Um, you know, not only did I screw up my first marriage, but I wasn't a good husband the first time. Like I was like, I was a shitty husband for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, I think I wasn't a great friend. Um, yeah, I have screwed up a whole lot more than I've been successful and everybody gets to see the success. And I think that, you know, I, I don't know that like, we never really show everybody how screwed up we are. What I can say is I'm really happy where I'm at now. Am I, you know, I'm happy where I'm at now. Am I proud of how I got here? No, I'm proud of what I learned, how I got here. Do you feel that you carry around any regret? Do you feel, is that, is that a, 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 a discussion you have with yourself or are you like, no, it got me to where I am now? No, I don't, I, I don't focus on regret. I focus on lessons. I learned mm -hmm. a lesson. Hey, I don't mm -hmm. like how I did this. I didn't do this the right way. Um, I don't like who I was at this time. I wasn't the kind of person that I want to be. Um, 
regretting is living in the past. Right. Yeah. But, 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 you know, um, taking the lesson and taking it to heart and taking accountability for it, um, I think is the key, right. Is going, yeah, that, that was me. I did this and I, that wasn't good. And I, I got to make sure that I don't do that again. Do you feel like you really pegged the pegged your fun meter on I'm trying to think of the best word for it? <sighs> Let's say manhood for lack of a better thing. Uh, you were like, yeah, all the, the immaturities, the insecurities, the, the desire to prove yourself that you're like, that's never something I really, I, I never have to worry about that. That's not, that's never going to enter my conscious. All my adventures are in other directions because I feel like I did that. Yeah. I'm not worried about being a man. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not yeah. worried about that. I'm worried about being a good human. And I do worry about that every single day. So then let me flip it around as a hypothetical. If you hadn't, and if let's say that you had knocked your first marriage out of the ballpark and it was just going great and everything had gone swimmingly and you'd never joined the military and for some other reason, dysfunctions had cleared themselves up and all that. Do you think there'd be something chafing? Do you think there'd be a need to go, yeah, but I wonder what happens when push comes to shove and when rubber meets the road where I would stand. Yeah, I think I, I think that's probably why people like you and I joined the military is because we yeah. do want to see who we are, what's our medal. But but I think that's the great fallacy of the military is, you know, and, and we're using it ourselves right here is it teaches you, uh, you know, it, it proves your manhood. And I think that's how we look at it in, in kind of a, a more sophomoric way but it proves who we are as people, right? Because you and I know a million successful women in the military sure. who are as tough as any man. And, and I don't think that the things of resilience and toughness, maybe oh, that, yeah. in way, no, that's, that's not a male exclusive. No, not at all. Right. So, yeah. so, yeah. so those are the things that I think, you know, the ability to stand up for what you believe is right, or the ability to do something that, you do very, very well and do it very well. Like those, those are gender neutral ideas in my mind. And, and I think, I think that's kind of who joins the military is people that want to prove their metal, who, who want to prove that when push comes to shove, they'll stand there and, and, and they can do it. Maybe they don't want to do it as much, but maybe they want to see like, okay, I did it. Right. Right. Moving on. Right. I want to go to your balancing again, just because for me, for me, balancing was a, was a, I don't know. I had a lot of epiphanies while I bounced. I wrote a book about it because it was just, it, it was a, it was a big deal for me. I never was in another walk of life where the flash to bang was so instant between my personal decision-making and the real world consequences of it. Um, without being told, without being directed, without oversight, without supervision, without orders, without anything else. And and to be fair, the stakes weren't necessarily as high. I wasn't going to get brought up on charges necessarily. You know, um, you know, there there, you know, it was we all live to fight again another day, and all that. Did you looking back on that now? Did you find uh, I don't know? Do you feel like you were just kind of an outlaw, barbarian? Like that was just kind of like, wow, that's what, that's what unchained. And I'm saying manhood only because you and I are men, yeah. but you know, whatever the quality is, whether it's metal or whatever else. Um, but that, that unchained manhood 
was allowed without any left and right limits. Um, and and was there that sense, or or do you feel like that was just and was that like a baby step towards Ranger Bat, or or do you feel like no, that's that's truly the Wild West. That's truly just where it was bouncing that for you. Was it just that? At the time, I think it was. Yeah, at the yeah. time, I'm, we're, we're we're victims of our experience, right? So it's it's like you know you can't you can't do a comparative analysis between bouncing and, and Ranger Battalion. What you can do is the comparative analysis between bouncing at 21 and not bouncing at 21, right? I mean that that's the analysis I can do, and mm. and and certainly. It was, yeah, I lo- look, I loved it, right? And that shit told me something. I love that so much. And that's probably why I continued to say, I'll go deploy, I'll deploy, yeah. I'll deploy, I'll deploy. Um, it was great. I enjoyed it. You know, the autonomy, the the ability to interact with people and whether that was a positive interaction or a negative interaction. Um, and I think that's what, uh, certainly at the beginning of the war, it was all negative interactions, but towards to, to, you know from 2007 when I was in AWG to, to 2011 those were a mixture of you know on one night I'd it'd be a negative interaction but on the next night it'd be a positive interaction and that certainly was was more like bouncing right and being able yeah. to to um you know code switch I think is what we call it now but the ability to code switch in the moment look, that's something that bouncers have to do all the time. It's something that police officers have to do all the time. Now we think that code switching is like some new term, but man, anybody that's had to deal with, with people who are either in a good place or a bad place have always had to code switch. You know, a lot of your career, and I'm, I'm kind of taking a 30,000 foot view on this, but a lot of your career seems like it ended up um, being steered towards innovation. You're right, because you had DARPA, you had AWG, yeah. Tradoc, right? That that all that um, everything you did early on really um, gave you the experiential wisdom to be able to try to make changes to infrastructure, systemic change, you know, to programs, institutions, what have you. Yeah. How successful do you think you were in in such a big bureaucracy? In some things, I think I was successful. Some things I think changed forever. Here's what I know changed forever. I know that the NCOs and and junior officers that I got to work with, they changed forever. And they're thinking a different way. And they're thinking, they're innovating their units incrementally right now. Um, I think I'm very fortunate that I think I had a couple of long lasting impacts. Uh, to things like the PT test, the new PT test, which I tried yep. to get. Was that you? Of. Was that your thing? Was that your baby? I'm part of it. I, I was running the fitness school when we when we developed that, and quite honestly, there was no there was no run in it when I was there. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, there's some things that I got to touch, and 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 nothing, you know, anybody in the army who says, "Oh, I did this," yeah, whatever. Like it was a team of really smart people. And then a whole team of people that had to approve it um, that made something happen. Um, I'd like to think that uh, that there are some things that'll last, and I was lucky enough to do that. But I, but I know what all of us can say is, you know, that the the people we got to work with, um, 
hopefully they're thinking in an innovative way now. And, and something that I still try to do all the time with, whether it's with moth and flame or, or with professional sports teams, I, I don't want to do things the way it's always been done. I, I, there's got to be a better way. There's always a better way. There's always a better way. So my, um, wide range of business experience starts with shark tank and ends with Marcus Lemonis on the profit. Uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to go to what Marcus Lemonis always says, because with all the leadership consulting you've done and all that, I wanted to bounce his, his constant refrain off you when he looks at a business and looks at people process and product. Um, you're all about the people though, aren't yeah. you? You're about, you're about the, the culture starting with the people and ending with the people, right? Yes. What do you think? Reconcile those two positions for me. What does that, what does that mean when somebody comes into troubleshoot, whether it's a toxic culture or a dysfunctional environment, what does it mean to focus on the people versus looking at all three aspects of the process, the product and the people? The process and the product are not possible without the people. So I believe that people, regardless of what you're doing, like in, in military terms, people are always your center of gravity. Um, so I've got to see how they're thinking, how they're, how, they're, how they're looking at things, how they look at what they do, how they look at how they do it, how they look at their leadership. Um, you know, it's nice if, uh, you know, once you get the people understood, you can look at the processes. And as long as we're looking at the process as a process, as a system, and not as a problem that Joe is screwing up the system, right? It, it, it's got to be, is the process right or is the process wrong? Not who is screwing up the process. <laughs> I want to know, is the process right or is the process wrong? And then, of course, obviously, you know, when you're looking at, at a PL sheet, you want to know, like, hey, do people want this product? Like, is this something, is this right. something good? Um, I go in when I consult and I, I make the assumption that, look, you're, you're here because people do like your product. And I'm going to assume that you know what you're doing and how to do it. Right. So I'm going to, I'm not going to focus yet on the product or the process, because if I'm going to make the assumption, you're very competent and capable. I'm going to look at your people because leadership is not just you get put in a leadership position and you're a great leader leadership. I was a shitty leader for the first half, maybe the first three quarters. I don't know. I, I, I learned about leadership, not because I was a great leader, but because I was a crappy leader. And I learned how to be a good leader by watching great NCOs and great officers lead. And I went, Oh, I want to do some of that. And I probably shouldn't do any of that. And I need to do some more of this. So I, I want to look at the people and how they're being led. I was I was having a discussion today on a uh, in another conversation about you know in the military we have we had this old philosophy of the leader the led in communication if the people if the led don't understand the communication it's never the led's fault it's always the leader's fault yeah that is one of the things the military does well right it it it, it instills that idea of humility it's your fault if they don't get it something that a lot of senior leaders seem to have forgotten. Um, but, but I think that when you put the onus like that, and something that I remind the civilian leadership of all the time, if they're not getting your intent, you're not explaining it correctly. It's not them not getting. It. Um, 
And I think that that's, you know, that's why I focus on the people because I truly believe people will, people want to do great things. They do. They want to do well. They want to, they want to be good uh, for the, you know, forget sociopaths and that stuff. But most people like they they want to go do a good job. They want to be proud of what they're doing. If you focus on the people, well, the process, you can have a screwed up process and still be great. You can have a screwed up product and, but you make it better than anybody else and you can still be successful. I mean, I think that's really important. So when we talk about the people is, I mean, would you agree that, look, sometimes if you just hired the wrong person, you hired the wrong person and, you know, everybody's going to have a certain degree of capabilities and maybe you can make the not right person as good as they possibly could be, but they're still Mm -hmm. not going to be the right person, right? Possible. So this is all, I'm going to do the bait and switch on you and completely shift gears using this same discussion, but applying it to Afghanistan. Do you think that's a people problem? Do you think that's a people-based issue? What happened there with the pullout, the disastrous way that went through? Have JC Glick fix that whole issue for us. Where do we we start with that? Uh, We start with never thinking we're going to get out. That's how we start, right? I mean, I don't care if you're talking Afghanistan or Iraq. We, we, we should have gone into both places with no intention of ever leaving. Um, Iraq is a crossroads of the world. We should have established joint bases there with other countries and never left. Afghanistan, um, you know, we went there and we should have stayed forever. And, uh, you know, they look, the Afghan people look at, uh, war is a generational issue, not as not as a yearly issue. Um, I don't care if it's decades or not, and that's what we should have done. Uh, it's not what we did. Um, how you fix it now? I don't. You, you can't fix it. Like it's it's broken. It, it, it's 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 broken. But um, yeah, I mean, and 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 here's why it's a people problem. How can how can anybody ever trust us now? Yeah. especially in in nations we forget that we're kids we're children when it comes to to the age of our nation these are these are cultures and generations that have been around forever everybody who's outside of our borders have been there forever we think 10 years is a long time we think 20 years is an eternity it's nothing to them and now, and everybody else has that perspective except for us. And now they know, eh, you know, quite honestly, even if I'm an adversary of the, of the um, forget being an ally, if I'm an adversary of the United States, they say, you know what? I can always wait out for the United States. They'll get tired. They'll never stay. Well, what, that was Bin Laden when he saw us in Somalia, right? Yeah. He was like, oh, they, these guys don't have the staying power, and that's why we can strike them, and they'll bring the hell after us, but we'll weather that storm. And sadly... He was right, at least for right now, until we, until something happens. Yeah. So I look at Afghanistan and I go, you know, there must be something I, I don't know in the decisions that were made. Um, I think that, you know, I never expected us to leave. I mean, we were still in Korea. We're still in Germany. I mean, why would we leave Afghanistan? Um, I'm hoping that there's just something I don't know and and smarter people than me made the decision that they think is right for a whole host of reasons. I don't see it. They're not communicating it. They're not messaging it very correctly. 
Um, but look, I'm a guy who is trying to figure out why are we competing in the Olympics in China? You know, I'm, I, I don't think we should be doing that either. Um, but you know what? Maybe the president knows something I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I guess the thought experiment would be if it was President Glick right now. Um, but but let's take away all your experience so that you really have to rely on your joint chiefs. I mean, do you think it's a people problem with them that that Millie and the personalities involved just weren't the right people to make that decision? I know I'm not trying to ask you to cast aspersions about stuff, you know, when you're not sitting in that room. But, you know, what, just the best you can diagnostic, do you think it would be a people thing or is it something else? Is it, hey, our process, the way that the, our decision making process goes is just not the right way? People made that decision. People yeah. made that decision. And I don't know who made the decision and I don't know what the advice that was given. I wasn't in any of those rooms, but a person made that decision. It wasn't a process thing. A person made decisions. And just like a person makes a decision to pull a trigger or drop a bomb, a person does that, not a process. And, and sometimes I think we look at the process and quite honestly, all our processes in the military, they're completely subjective. I can change the decision-making Right. I can change my course of action matrix by waiting something that I want to wait better. So I get the course of action I want. Our processes are, are all people based. So I think it's a, it was a people issue and a person made a decision. Uh, look, I believe it was the wrong decision and I can articulate why I think it was a wrong decision. I have yet to hear the person that made the decision explain why it was the right decision other than it was the right decision because we'd been there too long. Right. Right. Timeline seemed to be the only right. factor that was that, everybody's talking about. Yeah. That was it. So so to me, I go, yeah, that's that's not a decision. That's not a reason to to make a decision like that. Um you know and I you know I didn't vote for him, but I I, I kind of thought, okay, you know, if we can bring the country together, good enough. Right. Um but he's done more to to separate the country, uh, in my opinion, uh, I don't think his his comments. I was done. I'll tell you when I was done with him in his last speech when he said, "I make no apologies for Afghanistan." I'm I'm, I'm done with you because because his elite look. I made lots of lo I told you I make lots of mistakes as a human being. I made lots of mistakes as a leader, and the one thing that I'll always do is I'll say I made a mistake. I screwed up. Or, hey, it's not exactly, it, it was, there were a bunch of really bad options and I picked the option that I thought, you, you, it is your, like, in some case, you do have to make an apology. It's important. I thought after years, I'm sure, I'm interested in when you first heard the rumblings of shifting our doctrine to prepare for peer or near peer adversaries and away from CT. But it seemed to me, perversely ironic that now our peer adversary is in the place that we were doing ct and maybe we maybe those two things were more aligned than we had thought um, not necessarily saying china was just puppet mastering the whole thing but i'm just saying that now they now they're there and now they have all the pull and they've cut their deals with the taliban and we can't go in not just because the taliban's there with our weapons but because the chinese are in bagram and we you know, now what do you get to drop the 82nd on top of the Chinese? Like, I mean, yeah. now, now it's, it's, it just makes no sense. And, I, and that the, the fact that those rumblings happened 
um, and that there seemed like a lot of institutional momentum to shift us capriciously away from CT when there was no real reason to except boredom or, or career advancement and coming up with new ideas. Do you think so? You think money? Yeah. In what way? What do you think? Contractors wanted to develop new toys. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We had, we, we, when, when do we get the next big new tank? When do we get the next, you know, strategic aircraft? When do we, you know, the Navy, what, how does the Navy get their strategic resources? Excuse me one second. Yeah. yeah sure. Sorry about that. Hello. No, Thanks. you're good. You're good. Don't even worry about it. Listen, I mean, you've been ridiculously generous with your time anyway. So let yeah. me, let me, um, I'm just having too much fun. Sorry, it's your fault. If you no, just had some one-word answers, this would have gone a lot quicker. Um, but uh, let, let me let me close with this, just because I don't want to waste the opportunity to ask you. Um, and it's an unfair question, but okay. predictions. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think is about to unspool? Whether it's Ukraine, whether it's Afghanistan, um, whether it's Taiwan whether it's any of the hot spots that we're looking at right now, if, if tomorrow, you know, like out of a Tom Clancy book, the president said, guess what, JC Glick, you're now, we're dissolving the joint chiefs. You are everything. Yeah. What, what are you, what are you prepping for? What's, what are you, where are you placing your money? What do we, what's the best move for us? Yeah. Well, so, and, and, and again, you know, King for a day, um, I would actually, uh, I would deploy troops into the Ukraine. I would deploy troops to Taiwan. Um, I would prove to the world that I care about my allies and that I care about my partnerships. Um, I would, you know, I, I would double down on you can't you can't do this. This is not acceptable because what we've done as soon as we left Afghanistan, we we, we showed everybody we didn't really have the stomach for for conflict. Um, our initial response to you know, what was going on in the Ukraine was the president saying, well, it could be a minor, you know, incursion. Yeah, that there's no such thing as a minor incursion. Um, and, you know, and, and you've emboldened the Chinese over and over. I mean, why we have not even, and again, you know, maybe there's an economic reason, and I'm sure a whole bunch of people smarter than me could answer this question, but why have we not called the Chinese out on COVID? Why do we continue to why do we continue to support them in both product? There's no sanctions. We're not going to we're not even going to say we still won't say, oh, yeah, they they're the ones that brought COVID. We, we, we still won't do that. Um, and we won't boycott the Olympics as kind of a, a protest. And you you're telling and I understand athletes would be upset. and I got it. But at the end of the day, hey, you're you're representing our nation. And this is what's right for our nation. And you didn't get to compete before because of that. So, you know, the heck with them. Um, so that's what I would do. I, I think that you have to show Russia and China that we actually give a rat's ass about what's going on elsewhere in the world. Um, do you think it's going to be a long time before we get hit with something that was that originated in Afghanistan? I'm shocked we ha it hasn't already happened. Yeah, I know. I'm absolutely too. shocked that it hasn't already happened. Um, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the problem that I think we're going to have today is that they're going to do it. And so, look, the Chinese have been so successful in how they've separated us. Um, they have they have they have absolutely, you know, house divided cannot stand.
this has been a long play for them. Um, you know, we we know that they collect information on TikTok. They don't allow it in their country, yeah. but we yeah. have everybody who's on TikTok. Oh God! And truth and. and and even and Zuckerberg even said this is my number one competitor, and I'm like, how how is that possible, right? They have done such a good job at separating us by gender, by race, by confusing our youth. Um, and look, I'm not saying that that you can't be born a biological male and feel like you know chemically inside your brain that you're a female. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that it's a very small percent, and and you don't get any extra rights because that's who you are. They have, they have separated us by race. They've separated us by gender. They've separated us by how we identify. They've created this idea. JC, let me stop you. How did they do that? <laughs> Connect those dots for me. How did they, how did they do the gender thing? Well, I, I, I think what they've done is, is, you know, especially during the, um, when the me too movement became mm-hmm. really strong. I mean, we know that they were, they're feeding stories into our cycle that right. are so perfect that we go, oh my gosh, this is a huge problem, you know? And, sure. and so I think they've been very, very good at, at separating, like creating this narrative of men oppress women, men oppress people of color, white men, uh, you know, the police, you know, the police, the anti-police movement that you, you can't tell me that that doesn't have China's footprint all over it. Um, so they've done this across the board. They've been and and I think that they've made us so, um, you know, I, I hate to use the word soft because I don't think soft is a bad word, but I think they've made us less resilient. This idea of it's OK not to be OK yet. I don't know who came up with that, but that's really dangerous. It's okay when you don't feel okay, but you should really try to get to okay. But now we have young people who think that if they're not screwed up, if they're not feeling like they want to kill themselves, that something's wrong with them. If they don't have an identity problem, if they're not being bullied, if they're not feeling anxiety, something's wrong. Or or, or they're the bad guy. If you're not feeling anything bad, then you are the problem. Yeah. And, And, you know, we have kids who think that if they don't post you know, a black screen for, for racial equality, which by the way, does nothing to promote racial equality. Then we have other people who are saying the racist. that that's all be, we have been manipulated. I, I don't believe that we're really like that. I think what we've done is we've been allowed to be manipulated by the Chinese um, and maybe some of the Russians. I mean, it, this, but, but I truly believe that it, a lot of it, especially because of the, the medium and like TikTok and there aren't a lot of Russian influences that way. Um, but I think we've been, we've been manipulated and I think, uh, and I think we've fallen into it. And, well, not, not to mention, I mean, uh, and I think my, my personal view is I think this was unintentional, but it's been a happy accident for the Chinese. But even in the country, when we have the, the arguments over vaccines and mask mandates and, you know, you say Cuomo to one group of people and you get everybody angry. You say Trump to another group of people, everybody's angry. Um, that's a very happy accident from COVID coming out. And I don't believe I don't I, I don't think we'll ever find the answer. I I, I think it's beyond uh, proven at this point that COVID originated in China. We know where it originated, how it originated is up for debate. And I'm I'm open to the argument that the Chinese were trying to find a cure to SARS. 
and this just got away from them. I'm open to that. And, um, and I'm open to the fact that it could have been a biological weapon. There's, th- those are answers we'll probably never get out. I, I am pretty confident that I don't think they intentionally released it because that would because they paid a pretty heavy price and, and suffered a lot of bad PR among their own people. And that's if there's one thing the Chinese government fears, it's its own people. And I think that got away from them. But regardless, the net effect has been, look, you still got the Beijing Olympics. You still haven't gotten universal condemnation, and it's sent the fucking U.S. into a tizzy, uh, like you know that that was completely unnecessary. Um, so it's been a lot of good happy accidents for the Chinese with that. And no, their GDP, their GDP is the only one that grew during COVID. Yeah, and yeah. and they don't, and they might be afraid of their people, but they don't care about losing their people. Well, certainly when you're welding them into fucking buildings. Yeah, no, you're you're but as long as as long as there's no popular mass discontent and they can't mobilize. But yeah, I listen, I mean, you know, I don't think either of us are, are you know, on the cutting edge of, of the, the China hawks. I mean, I think that 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 story has been out there and, and, and that is beyond obvious, I think, at this point to most people, certainly how it's going to manifest itself, though. I'm with you. Uh, I'm I'm very worried about. I mean, this, this is it's a really dangerous world that we have that we've left out there. And what worries me, especially in Afghanistan, is just now we have blinded ourselves, and we do not have a good history of what ends up happening when we blind ourselves to what's going on in Afghanistan. It doesn't no. tend to work out really well for us. Not at all. It's a really positive note to end on. But um, <laughs> you know, uh, dude, I did this has been such a pleasure, man, and I, I appreciate it. Uh, sucked up, you know two hours of a, of a near weekend for you. So, um, it meant a lot, man. I'm glad we could hey, do this. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I, you know, I, I love the platform. I love what you're doing. I love what you, I'm, I'm working on another article for it. I mean, I, I love, you know, I, I want to figure out, you know, I've talked to Alyssa about how, how can I help more, you know, thinking about, you know, volunteering a, a, a weekly video or, or, or something that that would be helpful to you, you know, let me know, let me know how I continue to, to continue to, to push uh, what you're doing, because you're, I think a lot of people who read Havoc would, would be surprised that it's a fairly balanced publication, right? There's yep. like veterans yep. don't always agree on stuff and we have some very different opinions and, but it's very philosophical and the writers are all come from kind of different ideas and, and everybody's um, there for the argument. Everybody's there to hear to hear the argument out. Like, let's hear your position and don't pull your punches and we'll sort it out, man. We'll we'll figure yeah. it out. A hundred percent. hundred percent. Well, and you've yeah. certainly been yeah. been a big part of that, man. And um, dude, I can't wait till the next time. Yeah, me On too. The road, let, let's catch up and and uh, you know, see how things are developing. Uh JC, thank you, brother. Thank you. Good luck, uh, good luck in renovations, brother. That was J.C. Glick's profile in Havoc. Um, All of J.C.'s lines of effort, all the books that he's written, uh, everything you want to know about J.C. is right there in the show notes. Please go check it out. Uh, It is a lot of worthwhile content to keep track of. Again, I thank Second Mission Foundation for their support of this episode. I'd also like to thank our other sponsor for this episode, the Veterans Repertory Theater. Uh, Veterans Repertory Theater exists to produce veteran playwrights and celebrate veterans in the arts. It is a creative hub for talented veterans and world-class performers 
to create compelling live theater and events. And of course, full disclosure, it is my nonprofit. It also produces the Savage Wonder podcast and the Savage Wonder literary blog and the Savage Wonder Festival, which celebrates veterans in the arts, features all veterans in the arts, and will be held on Memorial Day weekend at Sugarloaf Performing Arts Center in beautiful Chester, New York. We have a lot of cool acts flying out there, traveling out there to be a part of it. We hope to see you all there. Everything going on with VetRep, all the lines of effort that are occurring can be found at VetRep.org. That's V-E-T-R-E-P.org, VetRep.org. I will write an article briefly summing up and maybe giving some behind-the-scenes stuff if there is any anything relevant that I can think of uh, for this episode at Havoc Journal. So you can check that out. Um, but pretty much everything uh, will also be spelled out in the show notes here. So feel free to check those out. Check out the show notes. Check out any alibis I include there. If you're on iTunes, as I always say, please give us five stars. Um, we would also love to hear your feedback. So any criticism constructive, deconstructive, or otherwise, feel free to attach that to your review, but please put five stars on it because that would really help us out. As always, thanks to our producer, Mike Neal. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer. My thanks again to JC Glick, and we'll see you next time for another Profile in Havoc.